episode of the Brothers Trek About Discovery Edition. As always, my name is Matt and coming to us from the east side of Texas, Houston after all, my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Peace and long life. Excellent. Well, we are uh, back at it. Thanks again for uh, everyone uh, letting me have a week off. I had to go on my honeymoon cruise, so obviously that was kind of important to do. Uh, it's amazing how relaxing and wonderful that can be, especially for my uh, my wife, who is a uh, introvert at heart, and uh, all that eating she had to do the entire week of the wedding was uh, probably too much for her. So she definitely enjoyed being able to go on the cruise and uh, hang out in the room for a while and not talk to anybody. That's definitely sure. It is indeed. But uh, we're sorry it's a week late, but like I said, thanks for giving us the time uh, to do it, and uh, we're going to get back to... Uh, Another fine episode of Discovery. Episode 7, Magic to Mate the Sanest Person Go Mad. That is quite a tile, don't you think, sir? It's true. And, you know, it seems like... We were just talking about how long it is. A lot of these episodes seem to have these, like, really long titles to them. Titles on TV shows have gotten longer. You look at the original series, and the titles could be, you know, one to three words. One-word titles were not uncommon. And it seems like in the 90s, it became, you know, perhaps they ran out of, of short titles. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like yeah. they uh, they started making longer titles for things. And Star Trek still had some short titles in The Next Generation, which was during the 90s. But it seems we've now caught up to, let's say, Friends or you know, TV shows from the 90s, which really pioneered the really long yep. show title. That's right, exactly. So, uh, as always, I want to talk about one of the actors, and uh, what better actor to pick out of this episode than Rain Wilson, uh, who plays uh, Harry Mudd. He's probably, obviously, best known for playing Dwight on The Office. A whopping 188 episodes of that show he was doing. That is pretty amazing. So, uh, I went through, of course, as I always do, looked through his IMDb, and can you guess? I was absolutely blown away, but can you guess what his first job was? No, no idea. One life to live. Oh. <laughs> it's crazy. In 1997, it's like everyone has to make a stop on this uh, on this soap opera, you know? You got Nathan Fillion, who was a Buchanan, a man is only rated by his Buchanan. His Buchanan. Yeah, his Buchanan. That's what it was. That's right. Uh, also from Firefly, uh, Gina Torres was on that show. Uh, believe it or not, Next Generation actor Cole Meany did a few episodes in Landview. Um, another one probably too, which, uh, takes away from the Trek, but I'll sidestep for a minute and just say that, uh, Renee Goldsberry, who played, uh, Angelica on, in Hamilton, uh, was on that show for like eight years. She was on that show forever. So, uh, and that's where I knew her from. I saw her like in all the Hamilton material and I'm like, wait, I know this person. It's crazy. 
Back to Rain Wilson, though. Uh, he's also got a uh, Star Trek connection of sorts. He was one of the aliens in uh, Galaxy Quest, which is, you know, clearly a uh, Star Trek derivative. Uh, he also had a small uh, but recurring role over three years on uh, Six Feet Under. So that's probably, you know, the same uh, uh, creators as this show or, or who's doing uh, who's running this show right now. So obviously that. That's good. Uh, how they know each other. He voiced Gargamel in a uh, Smurfs video game. I thought that was really great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's definitely got a lot of lot of stuff coming out over the next few years too. So I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, Rain Wilson. Loved all of his stuff from you know way back when he was doing uh, the Tim and Eric, his little bits on Tim and Eric, and uh, now he's of course as Harcourt Fenton Mud. So what fun! Or just Harry to you and I. Mm -hmm. Well, we know him pretty well. Everybody loves the mud. That's right. So, uh, you know, that's all I got. Nothing else uh, I can say before we uh, go ahead and jump into this episode, as always. So, uh, let's get to it. Captain's log. Starting. It's five-year mission. But before we get going, I'd like to restate the way I sort of run these little plow-throughs of the plot, right? So, I write the recaps as I am watching them for the first time, right? So, of course, I, it's so that I can get the experience of doing it. I can, I can as, I, as you've heard, I can, right or wrong, do my little predictions, which are also fun. Um, but in this episode, especially as some secrets are revealed as we go along, and not to mention that, but my love of time, sto time travel stories, I just love the way this story unfolds. And so I like discussing it the way that it unfolds. So it's a... Uh, it's a lot of fun because they, it, it, it takes it takes what we already know about time travel episodes, I think even very specifically cause and effect, and sort of, you know, swerves them. So it's fun. Yeah, this is an episode that really, it's full of misdirection. So it starts off mm -hmm. as one of these episodes where we find a creature, but it's not about, you know, interacting with the creature all episode. There's like three or four next generation episodes like that. I think there's one. Um, well, there's there's the Space Amoeba in the original series, but there's also the Horta, which is yeah. a show that starts off with a little misdirection, and then we have this interaction with the creature. So we have lots of Star Trek. We encounter the new creature, and it feels like that's what this is going to be until it's not, and then suddenly it's something different. Right, and then it's a combination in the way that the original Mud was both a Western story of bringing the women to the pioneers, but also a police uh, procedural about, well, you violated this rule and this rule, and you're going to go to jail, and you're going to be in trouble, and this is, you know, we're going to interrogate you. And this was kind of the, as you say, the time travel episode with, uh, you know, can we break out of our time loop problem? But then on top right. of that, it's the someone has taken over the Enterprise and we got to get the Enterprise back episode. Yep. And it's, it's put those together with, you know, a few other pieces of misdirection. It's got a piece of the war. We've got, you know, some surprises. And so there's so much going on. It's so dense compared to, yep. you know, some early television. So uh, as we're about to get into this, of course, what we start off with at the beginning of the episode is a... Uh, 
uh, previously on Star Trek Discovery. So, you know, for my years of growing up on television, being quite media savvy, I've always, I, I love these previously on montages because I always like to point, see what story points they want us to remember the most, right? And it sort of helps you gauge going into the next episode. With the honeymoon and, and even the wedding and everything else, we were like three weeks behind on Walking Dead. So we hadn't even like caught up on, we hadn't even like watched, we, we, we tried to watch one episode the night of the wedding, but obviously fell asleep because, you know, wedding, it's tiring. So uh, it was really fun then to watch like previously on The Walking Dead and, you know, watching, okay, so what from the last episode do they really want us to bring into this episode? So it's always kind of fun to see, um, what those previous songs want us to, to dredge into the next episodes. So in this one, we hit the store drive. We hit uh, Stamets, how, his, uh, how this is affecting him as a person. Uh, in the previous episode, Mud uh, uh, being left behind, basically, by uh, Lorca. And uh... so basically, I think that a lot of what this is telling us is like revenge is going to be on the, on the, on the thing and the dangers of experimentation. Obviously, because we got the whole Stamets stuff going on. And then, for the first time in this series, we go to credits. There's no cold open for us tonight. How weird is that? So there's another thing to tally up on our list of misdirections and you know, ways of toying with the, the, the format to throw us off. Yeah. Well, so not only that, so we got the... Uh, I was reading on Memory Alpha, and they were saying that uh, this is the first time... A Star Trek episode hasn't had a cold open since the uh, premiere episode of Next Generation, where apparently they just went to credit. They just started with credits and then went into the episode. So, And it's interesting because you do have this thing about the creature that could have been a cold open. Yeah. And that would have, in terms of length and the way that it, it has its own sensibility to it, we could have started off with, oh, we've discovered a creature. Yeah. Well, you know, the rules say we got to protect this creature and and you know, allow it to live long and prosper. So let's, let's beam it on the ship and we'll take it to a safe place. All right. Well, I'm going to go down and supervise. Okay. <laughs> do, 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 go to credits. Yep. And, and you feel like you go and you get coffee or popcorn or whatever you're doing. And you come back thinking, we're going to have a creature feature, you know, we're going to meet some new life and, you know, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not how they ran with it. Nope. Not at all. So, uh, we start off with, uh, Burnham. She's giving a uh, personal log. We're sort of following her around on her day. Uh, she says she's starting to feel like she's part of the ship. Routines have fallen into place. She has noticed uh, that Stamets has his new uh, personality traits. And I love how just visually they give you that, you know, from prickly to almost fun. That's the way I wrote it. Uh, more of the re growing relationship between her and Tyler. Uh, she also says that she feels as if she is part of the crew and yet she also feels apart from them. So tonight, she is forced to go to a party. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that should have been the cold open. <laughs> but today, I have yeah. to go to a party. Boom, cold open. That could have been a cold open. And they do. We get this little piece of the party. Yep. And that could have been the cold open, right? Yep. So we had this thing at the beginning. and the, So it's the fact that they didn't use it, you know, says something about how they want to structure the story and how we're supposed to, you know, Receive it. Drunk Tilly is funny. I thought I wrote that as well. Uh, then uh, Tyler and Burnham just about to like meet, almost about to have some small talk, and boom, they are called away to the bridge. 
Tyler seems to be uh, probing Burnham for, you know, a, just to find out more about her, basically. Uh, she says that she didn't... Go ahead. There's also this awkwardness, and I, I feel like, you know, the awkwardness is what you would expect. There really should be more awkwardness in this relationship. Uh-huh. So, you know, we saw at the end of, I think it's the last episode, where Burnham decides to start over with their greeting, you know, because at the first time it was totally awkward. Yep. And, you know, Tilly had to kick her under the table. Like, you know, you're supposed to react and be friendly. Don't you know how to behave? And so at the end of the episode, Burnham, let's start that over. And then she was totally human, as I, as I mentioned. You know, she flipped on the human switch and yep. became friendly. And the, the thing is, people can't do that. This is a little Mary Sue in which characters have you know, this vast array of, of skills. You're like, where, where did this come from? You were brought up on Vulcan to be a high-achieving Vulcan academic student and was successful at that. And to be good at that, that means you weren't developing all these human interaction social skills. Uh -huh. you, you were instead learning how to you know, calculate you know, orbital trajectories backwards. <laughs> And, you know, do all the crazy things that Vulcans are doing. And we see that she's able to do stuff like that. Right. So she shouldn't be able to, her, she shouldn't be able to turn on the charm and suddenly look like a fully functioning human friendly person who gets it right. And, and the awkwardness should be everywhere and, and happening at all times. Uh-huh. Well, too, you know, like, to be fair, she has been among humans for seven years. So there's that. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, she does have emotions. She right, is yeah. she is still human, so it's just like where did she practice her friendly greeting and her, you know, cuz I can't imagine that she was like Tilly, you could imagine looking in the mirror and practicing a hundred different ways to say hello. Right. You know, if we saw Tilly doing that, you wouldn't stop for a minute and go, "Oh, Tilly, totally out of character." But Burnham? Nah. So uh, we found out that she didn't uh, fraternize with people on the Shenzhou because of her rank. She was obviously the first officer, so she didn't really get to fraternize. She uh, considered it inappropriate. I was wondering if uh, if uh, Commander Riker, Riker would disagree or not. He always seemed to be <laughs> going to parties all the time with people on the crew. They bump into Stamets, who, uh, again, is... Well, this, this raises an interesting like command issue, right? Okay. Because there's kind of two ways to handle the command problem. One is friendly captain, disciplinarian first officer. This is how public schools are typically run, in which the principal is Mr. Friendly and the vice principal is Mr. Discipline. Oh, you're in trouble. Go see the vice principal. But you, you could also do it the other way around. And I think that's what uh, was going on on Burnham's first ship. The, the captain didn't seem open and friendly and approachable. We didn't get enough of her. But I, I think that's the sense that she was open and approachable, which meant that Burnham had to be the serious standoffish discipline. You broke the rules. See me in my office. You know, I'm going to write you up. There's going to be a... But, you know, in, in Next Generation, you had Picard is a little bit more standoffish, a little bit more by the book, a little bit more formal. And that allowed Riker to be the friendly, I'm going to be the happy. And I'm sure uh, Picard was happy to have Riker, you go to the party. You go to the thing. I'm going to go read some archaeology now. <laughs> right. 
So they uh, literally bump into Stamets, who's carrying some stuff. We don't really know what it is. Uh, his clearly not his normal self, the prickly version I mentioned earlier. Uh, he hugs Burnham at one point in this scene. Uh, we also find out an important thing, that they've added a cybernetic implant to Stamets to help make his connection to the spore drive a little bit easier. Obviously, then poking him in the side. Anything's easier than that. Also making, not that this is a prediction, because we know this already, is that, you know, the spore drive doesn't exist in later iterations of Star Trek. So we can only guess that uh, based on his mood change and all these other things, that this isn't going to end well for Stamets, right. probably. I'm not saying he's going to die, but I'm just going to say at some point, this is really going to be a, a, a no good thing for him. Yeah, you know, there's two ways they can go. They can make it bad enough that you're like, well, we, we're never going to do this again. Yeah. But somehow we'll bring the old Stamets back or we'll stabilize Stamets and he can... Yeah. Or it, it's a catastrophic bad thing and yeah. at some point Stamets isn't in season X. Very true. I mean, see, that's the fun thing is they can, they can play with it for a long time. You know what I mean? We can imagine the spore drive is so vital to the... To the you know, the war that they're going to keep it using discovery as much as they can. But <laughs> once the war is over and plus, you know, they have a problem with eugenics too. So uh, right. that's a, another issue for them as we've seen once or twice already in the series. So Stamets then almost drunkenly asks, what's the deal between Burnham and Tyler, you know, and she, because she doesn't know what better to say, says there is no deal, which of course does not make Tyler feel good. <laughs> And uh, he says, she'd hate to be inappropriate. Oh, well, there we go. Used back at her. Dun, dun, dun. Onto the bridge, Saru is tracking an unidentified uh, object. Burnham has found out what it is. It's a Gormagander. I don't know about you, but it took me like five or six times of hearing the name Gormagander before I finally <laughs> heard what the heck that was. All right, Gormagander. Got it. All right. Fittingly for uh, Burnham, it's a creature that... Uh, that uh, is so dedicated to feeding on solar winds and alpha particles that it sometimes forgets to mate and to propagate the species. I just love how that sort of fits in with everything we know about Burnham so far, metaphorically. Uh, Burnham says that since the creature is on the endangered species list, that they have to pick it up and transfer it to a zoological station. Lorca says, have at it. They beam the creature on board, trying to see what's wrong with it, and as they do, they find something inside of it. A humanoid dressed in a spacesuit comes blasting out of its mouth. Burnham hides and calls the bridge. On the bridge, Lorca finds out that it is none other than Mud who has come to find out what's so special about Discovery and to steal the information and sell it to the Klingons. He is also out for revenge on Lorca for leaving him in the, uh, in the Klingon prison ship. He threatens to kill him many times, which <laughs> yes. just sounds like a crazy threat in the beginning, yeah. <laughs> but exactly. it turns out to be real. <laughs> He says that he has been robbed of his Stella, and he puts it, and that uh, he will have his uh, he will have his revenge, and then the uh, Enterprise blow up, and it's time to go to sleep. <laughs> oh, Discovery! Discovery blows up. Time to go to sleep. Uh, that was a reference uh, for those of you who don't know, because it's a private joke between Ken and I about uh, the episode "Cause and Effect" from the Next Generation. Many of you know it very well. It's the episode that, at the end, they have been. Uh, running into a ship over and over again. I, I, I think for like 17 days straight, they've been like running the same 10, 12 hours or something ridiculous like that. Uh, it's the episode that ends with uh, Kelsey Grammer, uh, you know, uh, running the ship. So uh, 
<laughs> we had this joke in the house that every time the Enterprise goes up, st- blows up, it's time to go to sleep. Because the well, show must be over. <laughs> the show must be over if the Enterprise blows up. Yeah, it's time to go to sleep. All <laughs> uh, right, so, uh, we so would also for... we'd also watch Next Generation after work. Yes. So you which know, was we, very late at night. Yes. Yeah, we, we were in school. We're you know working, you know, kind of after school shifts, and then you know kind of come home watch Star Trek, and then you'd go to bed. It'd be like 2 in the morning. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> oh, look, it's, it must be over. The ship's blown up. Good night. That's right. So uh, we find Burnham and Tyler now back at the party. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, walking down the corridor, people are running to the left, as we saw the first time around. It's one of the things I love about like these time travel episodes is that you know you start to notice these little things to show the audience, like, hey, we're doing this again. Remember this from last time? So, you know, uh, like in Cause and Effects, there was the poker game, LaForge's headache, you know, all these little clues that kind of let us know, like, oh, we're doing this again. I get it. Okay. Uh, except this time, she doesn't bump into Stamets. That's interesting. Something suddenly different. And then he comes running up to tell Burnham that he has seen the loop in time and that it all starts with the Gormaganda, he says. Cut to the bridge. They find the Gormagander. It's crazy. Burnham and uh, Tyler exchange looks. And this time it's Saru who describes it and orders them to bring it on board. But both Tyler and Burnham say, belay that order. Because they know what's up. I mean, sort of. They know what's up. (laughs) Uh, Burnham requests uh, uh, the zoological oversight over the uh, Gormagander. You have this thing where she doesn't want to. She does the genre savvy thing. Right? How many times have we watched these time travel episodes? You're like, why are you, you know, why is the girl wandering off into the woods? Cut it out. Don't go in the yeah. basement by yourself. You know, these kinds of things. She, she does the genre savvy thing of saying, no, no, let's not do the same thing. Don't do what we would normally do. Right. I do something. To, and, and then Saru's like, what are you talking about? The rules state we got to do this. You get the captain in trouble. And, and you know, okay, fine. We're going to take the Gorman thing. But at least, you know, she can supervise. And then, of course, Tyler wants to be there. Like, oh, we need to have security down there for <laughs> Like, what? <Right>, exactly. <laughs> if you insist, go ahead. Whatever. Yeah, I still don't give a damn. Get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, so they beam it in. They move in for closer readings. But this time, instead of, uh, instead of mud walking out of the mouth, this time he just transports out. From inside the uh, the uh, Gormagander. Then the spore drive acts, activates. Lorca's pissed. He says, "Hey, what? I didn't order the uh, I didn't order the spore drive move." So uh, Lorca orders them down to Im- uh, engineering. He senses already that they must have some idea of what's going on. There, uh, Burnham and Tyler fight Mud sitting in the spore drive council. He has also uh, taken it upon himself to uh, create a security shield. So they can't fire in at him, and they can't beam him out. <laughs> but luckily, Stamets has been hiding in there all along, and he stuns Mud from behind. He says, as days go, this has been a weird one. Commercial. So, uh, we, so as we see, we've, they've, they've already started taking the, uh, the, the time travel trope a step further. Instead of showing us every time the building of it, they skip ahead, you know? So we're like, okay, this is the sixth, seventh time we've done this. Uh, okay, we've seen Lorca and Burnham, 
you know, or not Lorca. Uh, we've seen Tyler and Burnham go down there. He's seen that already happen. So we're going to take it to the next step where he beams out from inside of the ship. So um, I think that's really cool. But of course, obviously the difference in this one is that not only do we have <clears throat> one person in Stamets who's already seen what's happening day to day to day, but we also have Mud who along the way is figuring out this is where this person is. This is where this person is. I'll hide here. I'll dodge this shot here. I'll shoot them there. So we have the villain now who is also able to remember everything from each time loop, which I think is very different than cause and effect where everybody was sort of starting over. Right. So in that episode, and again, it just was much of a slower pace because it, it focused on solving the problem of the time loop. Whereas here, we're going to take the time loop for granted. And what yep. can we do with it story-wise? Yeah. Okay, now we can put this story of the Enterprise has gotten captured on, on top of that. Yeah. And so we had Audiences data. are more sophisticated now. They can handle this. Well, there's, there's also that. And they understand how time loops work. Yeah. Because we've already, not only we, but other shows have done episodes about timey-wimey type problems. And so, whereas before we had the headaches that Jordy would have, and we had, you know, Data's kind of getting, you know, shadows or, you know, after images of, you know, previous episodes, so he could remember things. Here we just get a, a character who's just straight out remembers it all. Right. And has to work each time, like Stamets has to work each time to convince, you know, the people, hey, we're in this, we're in, you know, we're like, uh, you got to do this. And so he's able to like see each time what works, what works. So uh, back at it, we come back to uh, Stamets, and he has indeed told us that uh, he's gone through this a lot of times already. Markle tries to remind Stamets that the ship is about to blow up, and Stamets says, yeah, you know, I've been through this a lot of times, and there still hasn't been a win for the home team. <laughs> Discovery blows up. Time to go to sleep. Well, it's been great. Another episode of <laughs> the Brothers Trek About. Back to the party. Uh, I was just asking you if you wanted to dance, says Tyler. Cut to them in the hallway with Stamets. He's been through this. <laughs> he's been through this before as he's walked to sit bay by Burnham. He has that scene where he's like talking, to, like repeating everything she says. He's saying, yes, I've done this before. I've done this before. Up to the bridge, Lorca gets called down to sick bay. <clears throat> This is, a, this is a double cross, though. It's not only a double cross on Lorca, but it's a double cross on the viewer because it was Mud, after all, who had called Lorca down to sick bay. Uh, he is stopped by Mud, who wants access to st something that is not the spore drive. What could that possibly be? Meanwhile, Burnham and Stamets continue their conversation. The spore drive is indeed helping Stamets stay in the time loop because, uh, because the spores are a multidimensional creature. And... Uh, so then that made me question, then uh, every time they do a time... Okay, so the theory is that every time there is a change in the timeline, that it creates a new... Reality. Reality, a new dimension. Mm -hmm. Now, I realize, of course, when it comes to interdimensionality that, you know, it's supposed to be infinite. There are infinite numbers of, you know, blah, 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 based on what choices we decide to make and all of these things. But does that mean that every time that Mud uses the, you know, uses the, the, blows up the, blows up the ship, that he creates another dimension? It's a lot so, of dimensions this guy's creating. Right. So these could be pocket dimensions, which means that they're not stable and they collapse. And Oh, that's fair. 
So there's this line about, and this happens later, when he invokes the Klingons, right? That right. puts some pressure on the plot because once the Klingons are involved, he can't go back. As though once people outside his little bubble, like the thing has a range, those of us within 500 yards will be teleported back 28 minutes. But once you start interacting with people outside of this range, people from far away, you can't go back anymore because mm -hmm. that back doesn't exist. We've destroyed the the pocket dimensions. So I guess these there aren't all these other dimensions where there's the the kiss here and the dance mm -hmm. there and the, right. So uh, time is running short, but Burnham uh, Burnham decides to give Stamets the uh, a secret that only she would know. So then the next loop, he could tell her that, and uh, sh and she would immediately believe him. We don't hear the secret the secret yet, and they're saving it. So she's asked, "But where is Mud now? We got to find him." And he says, uh, "This is about usually the time he's killing the captain." Commercial. <laughs> what a way to leave it. So. This has a, you know, there's a certain amount of Groundhog Day going on here, right? For Stamets. Right. And, yes. you know, at some point in, in these kinds of stories, and Groundhog Day worked this way, and this Enterprise, or this uh, Discovery episode works this way, at first, your character tries to act directly with the plot, right? I'm going to stop the explosion. And then at some point, you, you realize I'm, there's no winning for the home team. I'm going to learn the lay of the land. I'm going to figure out who I can get to help me. I'm going to interact with them and learn some things. I'm going to... And that's what he starts doing. And so in the same way that the Bill Murray character decided to, like, do weird stuff unrelated to escaping the Groundhog Day. Because in the beginning, he's trying to, like, drive out of town, kill himself. Yeah. And then, it, you know, he starts... And this is how he, he falls in love with the girl. Right. And here he does the same thing. He's you know at first you imagine he's hiding out and trying to stop mud, but at some point I'm going to recruit allies. I'm going to figure out what I need to do to be able to recruit them more quickly in future iterations. Mm -hmm. So back to it, mud and Lorca enter the uh, captain's secret lab. <laughs> mud loves all the toys, of course. Uh, we get a fun montage of Mud killing Lorca over and over and over again. Do you know how many times I've done this? It's like 59 or something. Which he uh, then quickly does again, just to see how this gun works. Back to the party, Stamets enters, telling Burnham right out the gate, You've never been in love! I need your help, he says. She does believe him, and when it comes to asking Tyler for any information on Mud, she kind of fouls it up. She really doesn't understand this human relationship thing. So Stamets and uh, Burnham then try to dance, you know, for science. He tells the story of when he and his man fell in love, and and uh, and it opened up Burnham Burnham's brain. That's the way I wrote it. Uh, tell him how you feel, and he breaks it down for her. She says, "Well, I'm really good at honesty. <laughs> Never hide who you are." He says, "That's what makes relationships work." Boom! Back again to the party. Hey, I was just coming over to see you. Want to dance? I thought you'd never ask. She leads him to the dance floor and then says, Will you leave, please? Yeah. 
So uh, just as soon as they start dancing, straight out the blood, asks Tyler about mud. So I hear you were locked up in that Klingon prison cell with Harry Mud. Not one for small talk, are you? I've never understood it, really. But I've realized that relationships are built on honesty. So here it is. Harry Mudd is here. And in a few minutes, he's going to take over this ship. He wants to sell it to the Klingons. He's already trapped us in a time loop. Harry Mudd? <laughs> Wait, is this Vulcan humor? I wish it were. And why didn't Stamus come to me himself? He tried in previous loops. But he felt like you'd have an easier time trusting me. Why is that? Because I like you. And he thinks you like me, too. Tonight's gotten weird. But also very interesting. If time really is repeating, this won't matter. And then at the end of it, they kiss while some, like, baby-making movies <laughs> music is playing in the background. <laughs> that was nice, she says. Suddenly, they get the call from the bridge, as always. They decide to ignore the call and uh, do some technobabble about the uh, time crystal and how the lattice, lattice work can break down. So now, let's hunt down mud. Dun-dun-dun. Commercial. Back to the bridge. They've been locked out of the bridge. Mud's taken over, and it comes out of the turbo lift. He says, I'm tired of gloating. I've been doing it too many times. Lurker crosses to him, and Mud beams him to the brig. He threatens, to, he threatens everyone on the bridge by threatening to kill them with a, gl- a glob of blue that he had found in Lorca's lab. Tyler and Burnham enter the bridge with phasers drawn. They shoot at Mud, but somehow he's got a force field there. It's like he's done this before. Then he kills Tyler with one of the globs of death. He then sits in the captain's chair, very comfortable, almost as if he, he knows he's going to win. And he demands to know how the drive works. He threatens everybody on the ship. Stamets can no longer take seeing his friends die. So he comes forward and he shows Mud the cybernetic implant. <laughs> Mud beams them away. Burnham calls Tilly and tells them to meet her down in the shuttle bay to help, uh, help sort out the, 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 the whale creature. The war... The, <laughs> I didn't write it. Warmagander or whatever it was. Gormagander. The Gormagander. Gormagander, yeah. yes. Uh... Uh, and as they uh, as they uh, as they scan it, they find that there is actually a ship being held inside the creature. They decide that they need to restart time one more time. How? Doesn't he have everything she he? How doesn't he have everything he needs? Tilly asks. Burnham says, "Not yet." I'm intrigued at this point because I think like they can't kill Stamets. Because Stamets will probably really die because he's outside of the dimension. So you can't kill Stamets. So what are they going to do? I'm intrigued. Mud is in Lorca's ready room. He's giving, out, he's giving his own captain's log when we hear the chime at the door. <laughs> she walks in. She gets some talking about Stella. 
Again, we start to question, was Stella real? He certainly feels like he's moved on from it. Maybe he's been in the time loop so long that he's moved on. She calls it tragic, and he says, well, all the best romances always are, aren't they? Michael offers herself up, tells her, uh, tells Mud who she really is, and he agrees that they would play handsomely for her. And then, out of nowhere, she eats one of the globules. Mud, now frustrated, restarts time. So he's, he's done in by his own greed. And that's a big gamble. You know, I was thinking, like, for, for she, she really feels like she knows who he is. Because this could have not worked out. Right. <laughs> then only that, it could have not worked out for him. Obviously, it's not going to work out for him. This is where it starts to wrap up. But, you know, like, he's, re- yeah, I mean, he's really, I think he's cocky now. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. when he was on the bridge. And now he just feels like, well, no matter what, I'll be able to restart this all the time. So let's just keep going. Here we are. I also wondered this, too. Isn't Stan, so as far as the spore drive, the way the spore drive works, right, the tardigrade was basically in charge of basically sending them exactly where they wanted to be. So they can't just plug, like, if he gives them over to the Klingons, Stamets over to the Klingons, like, they can't just give them Stamets. They just, they would, they'd have to poke and prod him or dissect him or something and figure out how it works because Stamets would just be like, I'm not going to take you there. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? He's taking them across to different parts of the galaxies or something, so... We're going uh, to Romulus. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what his plan was there, but uh, there you go. The Romulans are like, why do Klingon ships keep appearing over Romulus? <laughs> right? Time for war! <laughs> so, uh, after uh, Discovery blows up and time to go to sleep, uh, Mud is going through the motions. He's walking through the ship, you know, hiding behind, hiding for behind every, you know, people are walking by, he's hiding behind, like, walls and door openings and such. Uh and this is a good thing, too, because as he uh, tries to take over the ship again, he looks away, keeping account on his little uh, watch thingy, and we see that Lorca and the crew are trying to take the ship back up on the bridge. As Mud makes his way back onto the bridge, they have uh, thrown him out of balance by making him realize a new thing is happening. But Stamix comes back and says, uh, hey, 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 no, we got to end this for all of our sakes. The con is on, I think. No, no, I mean negotiations with a businessman. <laughs> Lorca has has proffered up, or has offered up uh, Stamets and Burnham and the ship. But why would you do this? If only he'll save the crew. Right, exactly. If only he'll save the crew. Well, why would you do this? Asks asks Mud. He says because I don't want a repeat of what happened on his other ship. Aww. So it's funny because so you know a couple episodes ago they bring up this thing about his past in the, the other episode with Mud, then they use it against Lorca in the scene, you know, in the scenes with the Admiral, and then, boom, it gets to seriously pay off again in this episode. So that's fun. I like the way they did all that. Yeah. So Mud and... You can't miss anything. What's that? You gotta watch You gotta episode. watch every episode. Yeah, all these little yeah. things are, like, paying off. Uh, Lorca and Mud shake on it. He orders the computer to hail the Klingons and send their coordinates to them. Then his crystal runs out. And his time-shifting device disappears. He walks out with Stamets and Burnham, phaser in hand. Uh, but we find out that it wasn't about Stella all along. We find out that it was actually about running from, uh, running from her and the arms bear him with her dowry he did. Turns out you can con a con man. They shove him into the transporter room where Stella and her father have appeared. We hear Harcourt try and lie his way out of it. 
but he doesn't really get very far. And her father agrees to pay all of his debts, and Mud is forced to leave Estella, the Baron's daughter. Later, we find Burnham and Tyler as they awkwardly talk about uh, the dance or the kiss. We're not sure which one they're really talking about here. She says, what I am feeling is difficult and strange. As you and I have discussed, that, uh, you know, that's just her problem right now, being half Vulcan, half human. Um, then they look at each other. Tyler says, I'm just sad I missed our first kiss. Burnham ends it with personal log. Just as reputation reinforces repetition, oh, oops. just as repetition reinforces repetition, change begets change. I guess the truth is, we never really know what's coming. Sometimes the only way to find out where you fit in is to step out of your routine, because sometimes where you really belong was waiting just around the corner all along. End credits. Dun dun dun. And that's that episode. Well, obviously, I had fun in that one. I really enjoyed that episode. I wish, like, we could do, somehow. I wish we could somehow do a time travel episode every week. You know, the funny thing is, even with like Doctor Who, there's not like there's not like anything timey wimey. Some episodes, there's no timey wimey thing happening at all. It's just a big action adventure in Sherwood Forest or whatever. But you know, I love it when you get a good like time loop going on. That's my favorite thing. All right, anything else you got in this episode? I think the most interesting thing was how dense it was with different story elements. Uh-huh. I mean, you're advancing the Burnham, uh, Tyler romance. We learn backstory on uh, Stamets. We get some payoff from earlier episode materials. The show starts off thinking it's a creature episode. Wait, no, it's, it's a time loop, but it's a time loop on top of uh, who took the Enterprise. So much right. going on. So dense. It's, it's, this is the kind of episode you're going to have to watch over and over again. And you'll enjoy it every time because it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in as always. Uh, we are on iTunes, so you can find us on iTunes now. And if that's where you found us, then please go ahead and leave us a little uh, description on what you think of the show. Hopefully you will love it. But either way, make it good. Also, uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, you can find us on Facebook, soon to be on Twitter and YouTube. It's all coming, folks. Uh, Anyway, until next week, which uh, for some of you will only be two days from now when we uh, post the next episode. My name's Matt from Austin, and coming to you from Houston, my brother Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. That's right, and we will see you all next week. (laughs) 